0: Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord, it is good to be with all of you, and you've heard that multiple times this morning, and the reason we keep saying it is because we mean it, absolutely mean it. I, I was Friday night, we were here setting up, and I was just, I was kind of giddy, I was just like, we get to have church on Sunday, I can't wait, and I just love being with you in this place, and I believe God has something this morning that He wants to speak to our hearts, um, of course, He always does that, but I, I don't know. There are certain Sundays where I just sense that that God's going to go deep. He's going to go deep, and I, I want to invite you this morning to open your hearts, to avail yourselves to Him, um, and, and set aside any distractions. I want to say, if there's anything that's just kind of pressing on your heart and mind, or you know you're wondering about later today, would you just kind of ask the Lord to to settle that for you so that you can hear what He has to say. It's not about what I want to say. I really believe God has something that He wants to deposit in your heart this morning. Uh, We're in the midst of this series called Connected, and that's why we have all of these circles up here. Uh, Our lives are connected to each other. You have an impact on the people around you, and they have an impact on you. It's just the way that God has designed us to be with each other, that, that, that we are absolutely connected. So much so that even the people that you don't know that are connected to people you do know, you have an impact on them. You have an impact on them. That, that your touch point in someone's life will have a ripple effect into the other relationships that they have And i got to tell you, God wants us, you've heard that word stewardship this morning. I believe that God is calling us to steward our relationships in such a way that we become a people of blessing. We're going to share a story at the end this morning out of Scripture. I want to share a passage uh, and an encounter that that two men had in the book of Acts that highlights the way that we can have this kind of impact on each other's lives. My, My message this morning is entitled, Third Person third person. And there's all kinds of ways that you could define that. Um, maybe, maybe you've gone out with some friends or you're invited to go out and then you kind of realize like you're the third wheel. You ever felt like the third wheel? That's no fun. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, and I'm not talking about talking in third person. I'm, I'm in school right now and I'm writing papers and they, they keep saying no first person, no personal pronouns. It has to be written in third person. And that's hard, right? But I'm not talking about that either. What I'm talking about is the third person in our relationships. That in every one of our relationships, it's you, whoever you're connected to, and then there's a third person, and that person is God. That God is present in your relationships. But I think we spend a lot of time in relationship without giving God attention. Without giving God the glory that he's due, without inviting him to actually have some kind of say-so and impact in our relationships. See, inviting God into our relationships is an important part of our lives as believers. It's a critical part in our lives as believers and, and usually what I've noticed in my life, and maybe you've noticed in this in your lives, usually when I'm inviting God into my relationships is when I've messed it up. Yeah. <laughs> I've made a mess of it. Now I'm like, God, would you come and fix this? What if, just what if we actually invited God to be present and active in our relationships before they went sideways, before the wheels fell off, before things got awkward, before before whatever? What if we invited Him actively, daily, moment by moment to be part of our relationships with each other? I believe that God could bring the kind of breakthrough in our lives that I think most of us are longing for. In talking about even tonight, emotionally healthy relationships, I'll tell you in this course, in this series, the thing we're going to talk about the most is what does God say? What's God's part? How is he moving? And so, again, De- Deb did an amazing job. I'm like, I'll sign up all over again. That was, that was so good. But I believe that God is moving us as a church in a direction. He'd say, I want to minister health. And it's all about relationships. It's about our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. And those two are not separated from each other. We read in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, Paul writes this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's just a good line, isn't it? Praise be to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. It would be a great verse if we just stopped there man, that's for me. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts me in all my troubles. Amen. Amen. Preach it, pastor. (laughs) But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, so that, say so that, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Why have you been comforted and shown compassion? So that. So that God can show up in your relationships as you extend comfort and compassion. His comfort, His compassion in the relationships around you. So that, that's so that is so critical for us to understand. Can I tell you this morning, God cares about you. God cares about you. God loves you deeply. He loves you more than you even realize he loves you. He accepts you. He embraces you. We might not always feel it, but it doesn't change the reality that God cares about you. But he also cares deeply about the people you're connected to, about the other people in your life, the lives that you impact and the lives that impact you. Again, Paul writes in the book of Galatians, you, my brothers, in chapter 5, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's so good. That God called us to freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I'm going stop there for a second. Uh, Galatians 5, in this chapter on freedom, Paul writes to the church. And it's a, it's a letter of correction. Their thinking has gone a little sideways and he has to correct some wrong thinking in the church. And and so he's addressing this freedom. And so what was happening in the dynamic in the early church was there were the Jews and then there were the Gentiles. And 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 through a whole process the, the 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 Jewish leaders had to come to a conclusion that the Gentile believers were not subject to the Jewish requirements of the law. Because Jesus was, was bigger than that, and so there were some freedoms that the Gentile believers had that the Jewish believers did not, just because of that heritage and because of the, the law that was at, at work. But, but it went a little bit wrong, because those who had the freedom now were like, yeah, I'm free. I've I got this freedom. I can do what I want to do imagine we might do that sometimes. And this freedom now became a point uh, of, of, of sin in the church. And he says to them, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Don't let your freedom take you astray and convince you that you can do whatever you want to do and think that it doesn't have an impact on other people. So I think sometimes we read this passage and we think about, well, I shouldn't indulge in the flesh because I don't want to make God angry. God's like, no, no, no. The real issue here is that when you start living in this freedom according to the flesh, doing whatever you want to do, it impacts the people around you. So he goes on to say, rather serve one another humbly in love. So rather than just doing what you want to do, even if you have the freedom to do it, rather than that, would you stop and would you serve one another humbly? Would you put other people ahead of yourself? For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is written to the church. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit. Say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. All right, let's do it one more time. Walk by, the Spirit. walk by the Spirit. That's really key for us this morning. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Jesus said something similar. Well, he said that that this idea that we would love God, the greatest commandment, love God and love people. He says, if we do those two well, he says all of the law and the prophets hinge on those two things. What was he saying? If we love God and love people, we don't need the law and we wouldn't need the prophets. That the law existed and the prophets existed simply because of this. We don't know how to love God well and we don't know how to love people well. That's it. And Paul reiterates this and he says, Listen, this is at the heart of God. Love God and love people. And don't just do whatever you think you want to do. I think we're so enamored with our rights. I have a right to. And, and, and the reality is, is that when we come to Jesus, we give up our rights and we walk in submission to his authority and we say, Lord, lead us, Holy Spirit, let us be led by you. Let us walk by the Spirit. And I tell you, I know about you, but in me, this is a daily battle. It is a daily battle because I want to do what I want to do and i want to have a bad attitude towards the people that i don't like who make me upset or do things i don't think I, I don't agree with and i want to give myself permission to go there and i got to tell you this that that satan the enemy is right there going go for it go for it it's okay they deserve it but i have to invite god into my relationships and say god what do you say See, we've got to take the focus off of ourselves and start thinking about others. That, you know, the whole gospel is really centered around this idea. It's it's not about self, it's about others. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave of himself. He didn't think of himself. And he calls us to do the same. So that when we're in relationship with each other, we can be asking constantly. I can be having a conversation with Jason. And we do. We have conversations. We had coffee this week and we had good conversation. In the midst of that conversation, though, I can be saying, God, what are you saying about me right now? And what are you saying about Jason? And, and what's, what's happening here? What's, what's the dynamics? What's, what's stirring? What's, what's going on here? I need to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Or is there something that you're stirring in my heart that I need to say out loud for the benefit of Jason? This can be happening just live. As we have this dialogue, God, what are you saying? By the way, that's prophetic. We think of prophecy as as this, that, you know, the person who gets up and says, thus saith the Lord, which don't say that, please. Maybe you haven't been a part of church for very long. Maybe some of you older Pentecostals, you remember those days. They had the microphone and the person, thus saith the Lord. Those are such dangerous words. But what we can do is say, Holy Spirit, what are you stirring? Is there an encouragement? Is there a word? Is there something that, that's outside of my scope, my realm, my understanding, my emotions that I can impart to my brother to be an encourage, encouragement to him? And as the Lord does that, that's a prophetic utterance that meets and intersects his life and becomes a point of encouragement. How can you pray for someone? After you walk away from an encounter saying, God, how can I pray? Before we can deal with that, I'm going to walk us through three things, three places where I believe the Holy Spirit wants to intersect our lives in the midst of the relationship. I want to talk real quick about how we make decisions. Our decision-making process. There's three things involved here. What you think, what you feel, and what you do. What you think, what you feel, and what you do. What you think is the information and the intellect going on inside of your cranium, right? Your brain. You're processing information, and from the day you're born, you are processing just gobs of information, and it starts affecting the way that you think. You start thinking about the world a certain way. You see things a certain way. You grow up in a culture that affects the way that you think about the world. You grow up in a family that affects the way that you think about the world. Deb mentioned that she, she is one of eight siblings. When they gather together and they have a family reunion, I think the immediate family is like a hundred and something people. It's It's wild and it's loud. It is literally wild. Um, Their family has so much fun, and it's incredible, but but I got to tell you, Deb grew up in a different way of thinking than someone who grew up as an only child, and that's just based on the information that's coming into our brains, and every day we're thinking about things. We're taking information, so again, I'm going to just keep picking on Jason, is that when I'm sitting across the table from Jason and, and, and he makes, in the midst of saying something, a, a face that I interpret a certain way, my brain is connecting with what's happening. The muscle, muscles on his face are, you know, contorting, moving his face in certain way. And my brain is processing that information and going, "I think Jason's mad with me." There's information that's being processed. But then what happens? My emotions, my feelings are affected. Because I can have that thought. I think Jason's angry with me. But that's just a thought. What happens next is my emotions start being affected. Why is my, why is my friend angry with me? What did I do? And we st- any rehearsers, you play things back in your mind, like the rewind. You're like, blood, blood, blood. what did I do? And then you feel like, well, I didn't do anything. So why the heck are you angry with me? If you want to really understand how this works, watch Inside Out, <laughs> right? The little red dude, <laughs> What? and we go from zero to 60 in a moment and our emotions affected. And, and, and now that my thinking is informed by emotions, what happens? My will, my action, my doer, and now my face is contorted and my body language changes, And I'm thinking about what I'm going to say back to him because I feel like, why are you, you don't have a right to be offended or angry at me right now. So I'm going to, and it could just be that he had gas. <laughs> yeah, I just got some of your attention. You're like, wait, what? It could just be that that breakfast burrito is not settling well. And how often do we go from zero to 60 in a moment because we take in information, we process it, our emotions get affected in a moment because I already had a bad day because remember I stubbed my toe against the dresser this morning and now I am speaking out of that emotion and saying things that later on I'm going to need God's help to fix because I just made a mess. And this happens to us Over and over and over and over. This happens so much so that our thinkers, our brains, can be processing information. And we could know that we're not supposed to say something. But our emotions say, no brain, I'm going to say it anyway. Been in that boat? And the words are coming out of your mouth. And your brain's like, stop! But your emotions go, no, I'm going to say this anyway And we end up in a mess. What if? What if we invited the Holy Spirit of God to invade our relationships, that we would stop and invite the Holy Spirit, who is God, to say, Wait a minute. Lord, I I just noticed Jason looked at me a certain way. Could you help me understand what's going on? God, I feel my emotions starting to rise up. Could you you help me? Holy Spirit, would you help just calm me right now so that I can hear what he has to say without getting defensive? Holy Spirit, my flesh right now wants to act out and say something harsh. But would you keep me in check? Third person, he wants to be present. See, when the Holy Spirit is present, He's there to guide. He's there to correct. No, Siri, not right now. And He's there to empower. He's there to guide my thinking. Seriously. He's there to correct my emotions. And there's, He's there to empower my actions and my behavior. I want to talk about those three things. Present to guide, that the Holy Spirit is present to guide. Now, He guides me in all kinds of ways, not just in my thinking. But I believe that our thinking is one of the primary places where the Holy Spirit wants to engage with us. It's one of the key places. John 16, 13, Jesus said this, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will guide you into all the truth. Why is this important for us? Well, because Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies, and the Bible says all he knows how to do is lie. That means that anything that comes from the enemy into your ears is a lie. And I think what happens in our relationship so often is we believe the lie, but we don't try and discover the truth. And as I'm listening, as I'm processing information, as my emotions are being affected, and as I act out on it, more often than not, I'm basing it on a lie. But if I would stop and I would invite the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, to say, would you guide me in this Holy Spirit? Guide me into truth. I feel like there's something not right in this situation and I can't put my finger on it. Would you guide me in all truth? Would you reveal what is not being revealed? Would you allow God's word to come alive in my heart and for me to be able to discern what is happening in this moment? And I think everyone in this room knows what I'm talking about. It's when we're in that encounter with another person and you recognize that it's not going well. And that there's this check in your gut. That's the Holy Spirit going, stop and wait and let me just, let me speak into this. But so often we just keep charging forward. Because we're not healthy. Because we're broken. Because we're listening to all of the lies from the past. All of those things that have come from before are informing this moment. We do things like this, our brains and the way that our brains wired and our our synapses are firing and we go, oh, I recognize this situation. I've been through this before. And before we even know it, we're responding to someone the way we would have responded to someone else. That's why when you go into a counseling situation, more often than not, a good counselor is going to say, hey, tell me about your family. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about your mom and your dad. Why? Because our family of origin affects so much in the way that we interact with each other. You ever had an argument with someone in your life? Maybe it's your spouse. And you realize in the moment that you're not arguing with them. You're arguing with your mom or your dad. But if we would say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What is your truth? Would you guide me in truth? Would you slow me down just long enough so that the information can be corrected? See, Satan is a liar. And he wants you to believe his lies in regard to your relationship with God and your relationships with other people. And so God gives us a spirit of truth to guide us. John 14, 25 through 27 Jesus again writes this, says this rather, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, listen to this, will teach you all things. Say all things. things. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. Say everything. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. And because of that, and then we can read this next verse, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I think we read the peace part and we're like, oh, I want that. I want my life to be peace. We read it through a selfish filter. God, would you just cause there to be peace in my life? And what God is saying, now I'm going to teach you to be a person of peace, to bring peace into the relationships in your life. We can strip everything else around us away, the stuff, the culture, the issues, the politics. All of that can be stripped away, and at the end of the day, the thing that God cares about the most is relationships. It's about relationships, and he wants to bring his peace to bear in every single one of our relationships, and so he says, I'm going to give you my spirit, and he will teach you everything you need to know, and he will guide you and remind you of everything I have said to you. By the way, God's word, if you want your thinking to be impacted, hide his word in your heart. If you're not taking in a steady intake of God's word in those moments, what's he going to remind you of? He can't remind you of something you don't know. Hello? He can't remind you of something you, you don't know. So get into his word. Don't let this time on Sunday morning be the only time where you're going, okay, I had had a good dose of the word on Sunday. No, get into the word. Read the word of God. Because then in those moments where you're going, Lord, I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of a promise. He will remind you of a promise. Of a, 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 A word, he'll remind you of a story in scripture that will encourage you and correct your thinking and slow you down. And so he's present to guide, but he's also present to correct. And we all love this one. Because we all need correction. We all need correction. There is no way that you're getting it all right. And if you just thought that you're getting it all right, now you're not. We all need correction, again, out of John. Jesus says this, and when he comes, that being the Spirit, he will do what? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What is, what is the Holy Spirit going to do in bringing correction in our lives? He's going to correct the things that are out of alignment with the heart of God. And where do we get out of alignment? It's not just our thinking and then it, it, it becomes our emotions. That when my emotions, I, I think it's the place we give ourselves the greatest freedom. I can feel whatever I want to feel. I am entitled to those feelings. And God goes, really? Really? I need to correct that. Now, our emotions can get damaged in a number of ways. Our emotions can be damaged because of things that other people have done to us. But remember, God says he's compassionate and he extends comfort to all those who need comfort. My emotions can be damaged because of things I do to myself. Things that I uh, agree to, things that I say yes to, things that I invite into my life attitudes that I have, pride, like Pastor Steve talked about a couple of weeks ago, that when I have pride in my life, just steadily, 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 my emotions are become, going to become more and more damaged. And the more my emotions are broken, the, the, my emotions are broken, the less I'm going to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because Paul, like Paul said, I'm going to feel like I have freedom in this. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And and emotionally, we become like two-year-olds stamping our feet and throwing a tantrum. And God's like, I need to put you in time out for a little bit because I care about you and you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt someone else. But if we would say, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you bring correction to that part of me that just wants to do what I want to do? James writes in James 1, 13 through 15, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by the devil. Nope. Oh, it would be so easy to blame this on Satan. Satan. When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, what you want, a part of your emotions that that is just hungry for whatever it is that you're craving, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is the landmine that blows up relationships. See, because I go into relationships in my life with my own sinful desires. I don't go into relationships going, hey, how can I be a blessing to you? So often we go into relationships going, what can I get from you? What can you do for me? And immediately there is something birthed in our own hearts It gives rise to a desire, I want what I want. And in the end, it leads to sin and that leads to death. Why are so many of our relationships lying in ruins? And hear me, I know things go sideways for all kinds of reasons, but we have to stop and say, Holy Spirit, what about me? What about me? What have I done? Where have I gone wrong? Where have I given in to sinful desires and temptation and allowed myself to be carried off and then blamed someone else? The Holy Spirit wants to bring correction, loving, gentle, compassionate correction, but correction nonetheless. He wants to bring correction in our lives. Why? To save our lives and to save our relationships. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is present to empower. He is faithful. He is going to show up in our lives to teach us and guide us. He's going to show up to correct us and get us back on the right path. But he's also there to empower our relationships. Jesus wrote in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. Say Power. Now say it like like you mean it. Power. Power. You will receive dunamis. Dunamis power. Holy Spirit power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God is not calling the disciples to be his witnesses to the shrubbery and to the rocks, and to the trees, and to the animals. Who is he being sending them as a witness to? To people. Because it's all about relationship. And so he empowers them and says, I'm sending you to people. And I'm sending you to people that are different than you, who are not the same as you. I'm sending you to people who believe different things, and live different ways, and do things that you don't like or agree with. I'm sending you to them so that you will be my witness to them. You see, Paul tells us that we have to walk by the Spirit. And when we come into relationship with the Father, as Christy talked about earlier, when we surrender our lives to Him, when we give our lives to Jesus, we invite Him to be the Lord of our lives. The Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of that. And what we start doing is walking our lives led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, show me the way. And He is at work in us. But what Jesus tells the disciples here is, there's more. It's like those infomercials, right? But wait, there's more. I'm not just gonna lead you by my Spirit. I'm gonna empower you with my Spirit. So wait, and on that day, when you've waited and you've prayed, I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to be poured out on you. and we'll read that in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room in Jerusalem. That they were together in that place and in that upper room. His spirit was poured out and they spoke in different languages and there were tongues of fire. And Peter, who just a few weeks earlier, had got up and denied Jesus three times. The same guy. Can I tell you? you think you've betrayed people? You think you've hurt people? You think you've offended people? Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, never. I will never deny you. And in that courtyard, they ask him three times, wait, I think you're one of his disciples. And Peter says, I am not. You're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. And on the third one, the rooster crows. And he looks up and Jesus is looking at him. And a few weeks later, the same guy who hurt Jesus, who abandoned Jesus, who denied Jesus. Jesus stands on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee and restores him. You can read about it in John 21. And says, you know what, Peter, do you love me? and three times he asked me do you love ask him do you love me and he says restore he says feed my sheep tend to my lambs feed my sheep and he restores him and it's only a few weeks later that this same peter gets up and preaches under the empowerment of the holy spirit and 3000 people come to know jesus i got to tell you church we think we know offense we've never been offended like that We've never been abandoned like that. We've never been hurt like that. Yet Jesus, who he himself was under the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to forgive, able to restore, and able to empower this man to now be the leader of the church. If he was in my group, in my church, I'd be like, dude, get out the door. Go find another place. But Jesus says, no, you're going to be the next pastor. You're going to be the next leader. You're going to be the figurehead i got to tell you, in my heart, I don't get that. But with the Spirit of God, it makes sense because isn't that what he's done for us? Isn't that what he does for us daily? And isn't that what he wants to do in our relationships with each other? How does that play out practically? There's these two guys in the book of Acts, Barnabas and Saul. Saul is this man who's persecuting the church, and I'm not like he, he's not he's not persecuting the church like you know light persecution. He's rounding up Christians in every place he goes to, and they were easy to find, by the way, because they would go worship in the synagogues, and he had to just go find the ones who had committed themselves to the way. That's what it was called, the way. And he would round them up, bring them to Jerusalem, and he would kill them. That's what that persecution, and he was the leader of this. Do you think Jesus was offended by that? Do you think Jesus was hurt by the fact that this man was killing his disciples and his followers? I I think the God that a lot of people imagine would have resorted to lightning bolts. Just zap that dude. Nope. Jesus meets him on the road. On, the, on his way to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus to go find more Christians. And on the way to Damascus, he has a revelation from God. Jesus himself shows up and speaks to him and he says, Saul, what are you doing? He's like, who are you? I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. And his eyes are blinded in Acts nine fifteen, Go read the story. If you haven't read it recently, Acts chapter 9, go read those. In fact, just read like Read Acts. Just go read Acts. Because it's amazing. But in Acts 9, 15 through 16, God is speaking to a man named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, hey, I'm sending him to your house. And Ananias is like, whoa, I hear what you're saying, but my emotions are not on board. Close the door. Because I know that guy. I don't want him in my house. And here's what God says to Ananias. Go. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how he must suffer for my name. Wait a minute. You have chosen the guy that is persecuting you and persecuting your church. He's a bad dude. And you're picking him to be your chosen instrument to proclaim your name. Yes. So Paul At this point, called Saul, shows up. He's blinded. Ananias goes in and he meets him. There's a work of salvation that takes place. The scales fall from his eyes. And it says immediately, at once, he went into the synagogue and started proclaiming the name of Jesus. I love at once, by the way, for those who think, like, well, I came to Jesus, but I can't preach. I can't tell people about him. I've got to go through this class and that class and read this book and go through this process. No. Because you have the Holy Spirit. And at once he gets up and he goes and preaches. The story keeps going. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Now, if you're the leader of the church and the guy who's been killing all of your followers shows up and says, hey, I want to join you. How are you going to react? You would react the same way they did. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But listen to this. I love this. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly the name in the name of Jesus. And at the word of Barnabas, they welcomed him and they embraced him. Things get a little tense in Jerusalem, and so they take him down to Caesarea. They take Saul down to Caesarea, and they put him on a boat, and they go, go back to Tarsus where you're from. We've got to let things cool off for a while. And here's what happens in Scripture. We go from chapter 9 to chapter 13, but like 13 years pass by. There's a decade, over a decade of time. We read two chapters. It's been 10 years. Church springs up in this town called Antioch on the coast, and it's not a sanctioned church it's not a church born out of jerusalem it's a it's this radical church it's just a bunch of gentiles that all heard about jesus gave their lives t- to him and said hey wait you love jesus you love jesus you love jesus hey let's start a church and so they did and so jerusalem the, the apostles hear about it and so they send barnabas hey go check out this church and he shows up and he says hey what's going on and so they tell him it's a great story and he's like this is legit this is cool. And so he stays and he, he prays for them. They're baptized in the spirit. And, he, and, the, and there's this work that starts happening. But then, let's read in Acts chapter 11, verse 23. When he arrived and saw that the grace, uh, the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain t- true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This is Barnabas. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And the Antioch church is a super, super important church uh, in church history, but I want you to notice what happens. Barnabas has an encounter with this guy named Saul, who's a bad dude, but Jesus gets a hold of him. And in the midst of their relationship, what God spoke to Ananias hey, Paul or Saul is my chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles. Saul re- shares that with Barnabas because they have a relationship right? Because we know that because Barnabas stands up in front of the apostles and tells them Saul's story. And so in the midst of him sharing the story and saying, hey, this is, this is what God told Ananias, I'm called to reach the Gentiles. Well, at this point in church, in the, in the life of the church, the church was still pretty much focused on the Jews and in Jerusalem. This was the target audience for the apostles. Ten years later, Saul's gone for a decade or more, Barnabas goes, Barnabas goes, and he sees this group of Gentile believers. And because the Holy Spirit is moving in his life, he looks around and goes, wait a minute. Saul's supposed to be here. Saul is God's chosen instrument, not me. He's the one who's supposed to be here reaching these people. So he gets on a boat. It's not like he just quickly went to Tarsus. He committed in his heart to go, I am going to go find that guy. I don't even know where he is, but I'm going to Tarsus, find Saul. And I, would, I wish scripture recorded that conversation. <laughs> Saul, oh my gosh, Barnabas, what are you doing here? Saul, remember what you told me about you being the chosen instrument, God's chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles. Saul, it's happening. You gotta come with me. So they go. And they minister in that place and Barnabas pours pours into Saul and they go on their first missionary journey from that place and they take up an offering to care for the, the drought and the famine that's coming in Jerusalem. Can I tell you, Barnabas is one of my biggest heroes in Scripture because Barnabas wasn't living for himself. He was empowered to catapult other people into God's call on their lives. This is what happens when we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. We stop saying, hey, what can this person do for me? And we start saying things like, God, how are you calling me? Holy Spirit, how are you empowering me to launch this person into what you've called them to do and call them to be? But if we don't start with first adjusting our thinking and knowing the heart and the mind and the teaching of Jesus, and we don't put ourselves in a place where we're ready to receive correction in the moment, for our bad attitudes and our broken emotions we will never get to a place where we'll be able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, impart things to other people and say, go. Wait, well, you're supposed to be a part of this. See, Barnabas could have got to Antioch and seen an opportunity. Man, something's happening here and I could lead these people. And I could grow this church and I could write a book and have a conference and, and it could be my name. And we laugh because, you know what, we see it. But how often do we see someone say, you know what, this isn't mine. This is someone else's. And we go find that person and invite them into the work of God. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. See, so having healthy relationships and inviting God into your relationships isn't just so that, oh, I can be cool with you. God is concerned about so much more than that. He says that the world will know us because of the love we have for each other. And that love is a spirit-empowered love that invites us as he moves in our lives as the third person in our relationships, opens our eyes, corrects our emotions, and informs how we move under the power of the spirit. Can we stand together? I wanna invite the worship team to come. Would you just bow your heads? I want to. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. Lord, we ask for forgiveness in the places in our relationships where we've ignored you where we've not welcomed your voice, where we've not invited you in to guide us, to correct us, and to empower us. Holy Spirit, we need you. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would be moving. Holy Spirit, be moving even right now and bring reconciliation and restoration to broken places in our own hearts, in our own thinking, Lord, in our relationships. That you are present to heal, to restore. I want to ask with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in a, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, Pastor Barry, I don't have the Holy Spirit in that way. I don't have a connection with the Holy Spirit in the way that you're talking about. I want that. See, we we the the Holy Spirit is present. When we're saved, when, he, when Jesus does a saving work in us, he's involved in that work. But the promise of Jesus is this, but wait, there's more. That I will give you spirit empowerment. I will, I will give you gifts and ability and discernment beyond what you're capable of in and of yourself. And if you've never prayed a prayer that just simply says, Holy Spirit, I want to be filled with your power. Would you fill my life? In the same way that the Spirit fell on those disciples in that upper room, that the Holy Spirit wants to meet you that same way and empower you. To take you from feeling like, you know what? I'm the last person that God would want to use. And just jumping you all the way to the front of the line and saying, I will use you at once. If that's you and you'd say, Pastor Barry, I want the Holy Spirit in that way, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Number of hands going up. The promise of Jesus is this, that his father, when we ask, will give what we're asking for. And we're asking for the Holy Spirit and he says, you will receive my Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray with you. Anyone else? Anyone? I don't want to... Thank you. Yes. Let's pray this prayer together. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me to overflowing with your power, with your grace, with your mercy. Teach me guide me correct me and empower me i receive you in my life in jesus name amen